Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. What did you eat today? Did you have porridge, toast? Maybe you had a sandwich, a salad, a steak? I don't know what you ate. One thing I do know is that you didn't eat milk alone because that's what babies eat. And then at a certain age, they're weaned off milk onto soft foods. And then we start to give them slightly more solid foods with the aim of them eventually being able to eat a full balanced diet. And as they grow older and they become teenagers and adults, we go a step further and we try to teach them how to prepare their own food and plan and buy the right food and cook it themselves. That is the process of maturity. It's eating the right things in the right way at the right time. And if a person continued just having milk, they would not grow effectively and they may even die because we need a full balanced diet. We're starting a series looking at the signs or the marks or the characteristics of a mature Christian and today we're starting by looking at the food you eat. No, not the physical food, but the spiritual food. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We need to be digesting and ingesting a diet of God's word. And the sad fact is many, many Christians have not developed past the, the milk or the soft food or even the full diet, but fed by somebody else. Many Christians have not developed to the stage where they can choose their own food, digest their own food, prepare their own food, or even feed other people. So Matthew, uh, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, the writer says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and and evil. So this first sign of maturity that we're looking at today is the way that you approach God's word, the spiritual food that you are eating. Why are we doing this series? We are saying, let us put up a, a picture of what a mature Christian looks like based on the Bible. We're going to look at eight characteristics of a mature Christian. And we're going to ask you, to compare yourself to this. Are we doing this to condemn you or make you feel bad? No, we're doing this to help you to progress. And we're going to give you the tools today and in the weeks to come on how to move from being immature to mature in Christianity. So what is the difference between milk and solid food or pureed vegetable mixture and the next level of food? maybe slightly solid vegetables, or that and the next and the next and the next. What is the difference between these different types of food? Well, the most simple and, and obvious difference is that somebody else prepares it. He says, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you 
the first principles of God. And so the obvious difference between milk and solid food is that solid food is something that you, mature Christian, get for yourself. You obviously get it from God's Word, but then you dive into God's Word. You open up the pages. You set aside some time in the day. You prioritize your time and you say, I'm going to study God's Word. You read it. You let it sink in. You think to yourself, what does this mean? What is this saying? How do I interpret this? How does this apply to my life? And then just as food is changed to become muscles and bones and energy in our lives, so the Word of God becomes a behavior, an activity of righteousness. He says in verse 14, Solid food belongs to those who are full age, who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And he says that it's the word of righteousness. In other words, it translates to a righteous lifestyle. Now, in one of the future weeks, we're going to be looking at our lifestyle and our behavior and how a child moves into a mature adult by the way they behave and they control themselves instead of being forced to behave a certain way. And so righteousness is one of the signs of maturity. But we see that the food that we eat, it's not just um, choosing to look at God's word. It's, it translates into a lifestyle, exercised our senses by reason of use so that we know good and evil and we behave in the way that God wants us to behave. We have a series on our leadinglightsnetwork.com website called The Foundations of Faith, where we go through the six foundational teachings. Because just after this passage in Hebrews, he said here, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of God's Word. And then in the very next verses, he explains what those six first principles are. And so we have a teaching called The Foundations of Faith, where you can make sure you know what those first six principles are, and then you can move on to maturity. And I'm not going to go into that now, but look it up, leadinglightsnetwork.com, Foundations of Faith. It will help you greatly. There's a little free book you can get there as well. But here he says, you need to move on. And so I, I just want to dig in a little bit deeper into this thing of always letting somebody else prepare your food. You know, when I was a very small baby, I can't remember it, but milk was the first thing that I digested. And milk is miraculous. It really is. A mother's body has the ability from the Creator God to take steak and potatoes and broccoli and porridge and anything else and change it. It digests it, it changes it, and it makes it into a food that is nourishing, that is good for the immune system, that has all the energy that a baby needs, that has all the right vitamins and minerals, and the baby gets a ready-made, perfect meal that it doesn't even have to chew. It doesn't even have to have teeth to be able to eat and benefit from this amazing thing called milk. And that is the first level of Christian teaching. When you first become a Christian, Somebody, uh, a more mature Christian, has read God's Word. They have listened to it. They have digested it. By reason of use, they have exercised themselves to be able to discern good and evil and for it to become 
a part of their lives. And then they have done the hard work of saying, now, if I was to teach this to a brand new Christian, how would I make it simple, attractive, tasty, helpful, beneficial, just the most important points that they need to do? And how would I give it to them so they need no skill, they need virtually no self-control, they need nothing, they just have to accept it. We have some amazing teachers in the body of Christ who have managed to do this. And you will find teachings all over the world of the basics of Christianity. And I encourage you to get those and find those teachings which are simple and, and attractive. You know, they, they make you excited. They make you happy. They, they build your emotions up. Um, and, the, and they're just the right points put in just the right way that they're easy to remember but also you know exactly what to do next you know those teachings those very simple basic teachings how to believe uh, how to be filled with the holy spirit um, how to love people how to read god's word those basic basic teachings that we need and and that's wonderful and you need those and we thank god for the teachers the the mothers in the body of Christ who make milk available. But then there's the next level. You know, the Bible speaks of people being weaned, which means taken off milk and onto the next level of solid food. And, and it speaks of it as a reason for celebration. And we need to move to that next level where it's slightly more solid. You still don't need teeth. It's still been made soft and it's maybe a little less tasty. I, I don't know what you think, but I think sometimes those pureed baby foods where it's apple or pumpkin or whatever, there's all sorts of interesting mixtures. They're not the most tasty, but there is some nice taste. They're easy to digest, but the baby's system needs to do some work to digest that. And that's the next level of teaching. Maybe it's in a, a discussion group where you go through the basics of Christianity and you're able to ask some questions and you need to engage your mind a little bit. You don't just do what the teacher says, you think about it. And then there's the next level where you start to have proper solid food. Your teeth have grown in a little bit. You have to chew and sometimes in the chewing there is effort involved. And so you have to put in a little bit of hard work. It doesn't just come so easily. Um, and sometimes you have to chew and strain out little things that you can't eat or don't want to eat. Um, maybe bits of gristle or fat or bone or, or the core of an apple or whatever it is. You, you have to put some effort in. But somebody else has planned your meals. You know, they've gone to the effort of thinking, what do I need to buy this week for my precious child to eat properly and to have all the right types of food that they will be strong and they will grow healthy? And then you grow and you grow and you grow. When I was 15, I went to boarding school and there were 400 young men in a, in a kitchen area, dining room area. And the people in the kitchen prepared a meal for 400 of us. And because they were cooking for so many people, they couldn't be careful to look after all of our different tastes and preferences. If, if we had a special preference, it was up to us to just decide, does this food have this thing or not? Uh, we weren't told these are the ingredients on the food. We were just given a meal that was suitable for everybody. And it was good and it was nutritious and they did the work and they prepared it for us. 
and they worked hard and we grew as a result. And that's what large-scale teaching is like. You go to a, a large service, 50, 100, 500 people, somebody preaches, and it's, it's supposed to feed everybody, um, and it's good, and it's helpful, and it's healthy, but it's not the ultimate goal. He says you should be teachers by now. The ultimate goal is for us to get to a place where we are able to plan our own food, where we're able to go and get our own food, where we can chew it and prepare it ourselves, where we can decide how to use it and how to mix different ingredients together. And then the ultimate goal is I have learned enough about feeding myself that I can now feed other people and I can decide how I can make milk or soft food or balanced meals or whatever it is for different groups of people, different sizes of groups. And that is the goal that God wants you and I to get to. Now, how do we get there? My first challenge before I talk about how we get there is to say to you, my dear friend, do you want to grow up? You might say, I'm quite liking being a baby. I quite like the fact that I don't have to work, I don't have to think, I don't have to plan or prepare or get up early. Somebody will just prepare a sermon or a teaching for me and they'll just give it to me and I just take it in and enjoy it and benefit from it. I want to say to you that if a human being, a, a physical natural person, lived on baby food, they would not thrive. In fact, there is a medical condition called failure to thrive where a child just stops growing and they start wasting away because often they are not getting the right food, but there could be other reasons as well. And in the spiritual realm, if a person remains eating what somebody else has produced in a palatable, sweet, lovely form, they will not grow and they will fail to thrive, which means you start to deteriorate as a Christian. I believe, unfortunately, there are many 30, 40, 50 year old babies in churches all over the world because we've never learned to study God's word for ourselves. We've never realized that we have to exercise ourselves to discern good and evil. Paul says to Timothy, study to show yourself approved, a workman who knows how to divide God's word correctly. We, there's some work involved. You've, you've got to be a workman. You've got to grow. You say, I don't want to grow. Friend, you need to grow. God wants you to grow. God's got so much in store for you. He's got so many good plans for you as a mature Christian, where you're enjoying God's word for yourself, where you're getting the right nutrition for you, not just a generic meal that's for everybody, and where you're able to help other people. You know, I've learned the most in my study of the Bible when I've been preparing to teach somebody else. I get more benefit than they do. I just, I love it. I absolutely love it. I find myself getting up early in the morning and I cannot wait to study God's Word. I can spend three, four, five hours studying God's Word because I am passionately in love with learning God's Word and it feeds me. And at the end of it, I feel strengthened and built up and encouraged like the best meal that you could imagine, but a spiritual meal. And I want to encourage you, my dear friend, don't be satisfied with just receiving from other people. Learn to study for yourself. 
Now, before I talk again about the practicalities of how we do this, I just want to say that we always need teachers in the body of Christ. Even if you're a mature Christian, even if you are someone who teaches others, it is good for us to be open to learn from others because we need other people's input. And we need shepherds or overseers or pastors in our lives who can watch us and say, hmm, my friend, have you thought about this? What about this? And if we're unsure about something, we can go and ask them. We are still feeding ourselves, but we have other people who speak into our lives because Christianity is never supposed to be you on your own. We are part of a family, part of a body, and we need each other. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We need oversight, we need input, we need correction. But that doesn't mean you just receive what others have prepared for you. You learn to study God's Word on your own. So how do we do this? I've got a few principles um, for you. The first is just the, the attitude we approach God's Word with. We've got to come with the attitude that says, God, I really want to know your will and, and we submit our hearts. I've spoken about this in many, many other places. Um, in James chapter 1, it says, You lay aside filthiness and you receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. It means I'm willing to put away sin and I'm willing to do God's will and I'm willing for His word to be implanted in me and to rule and to reign. David says, um, All of your precepts, all of your commands concerning all things I consider to be right. We've got to say God's word is above and I submit myself. If we come to God's word wanting it to reinforce what we think or trying to get it to say something uh, that agrees with us, that's not the right approach. So the first thing is to come and say, God, I submit to your word. I love your word. I need your word. I'm hungry for your word. Second thing is just to realize God's word is different to human words. You can read commentaries and books and stories and hear preaching from people, human people who have ideas and opinions. And their opinions may be good and helpful, but God's word comes from God and it's on a whole different level. And we've got to put God's word above our own ideas, but also other people's ideas, commentaries, old people from many centuries ago, rabbis, what, whatever. Human ideas are not the same as God's word. And so we approach with the right attitude. That's the first thing. Then there are a couple of rules. I've got to understand the context that it was written within. I've, I've got a few rules here, but maybe the simplest way is just to show you in a practical example. So let's just say you read Genesis chapter 6 verse 13. And it says, And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. God said to Noah, I'm going to destroy all flesh with the earth because it's filled with violence. Now, the simplest error would be we come into that and we say, I want to find just almost like a, a lucky dip. I want to put my hand in and pull out just a word for me, for this situation that I'm in. Should I take that job? Should I go out with that 
person? Should I do this or whatever? And it's a bit like a lucky draw. And we come into God's word and we just flip it open and we, we look for maybe just a little phrase or sentence. And it says, the end of all flesh has come. Okay, I'm going to take that to mean whatever. That is not helpful. That, that's not studying God's word. That's a lucky dip. You may as well say, I'm going to go to uh, the supermarket and, and pick the first thing on the shelf and read what the words say. I mean, there's a, it is God's word, but it's not in context. So the first thing is to read the context and understand in Genesis 6, it was before the flood. Who was this written to? What was the situation? What was the circumstance? Understand what God was saying. Now, this might be a shock to you. You might have thought, I can just pick up God's word, read the first words, and that's God speaking to me. It may happen, but you can't really trust that. That's more like prophecy, where it could be right, it could be wrong. Uh, God's word has to be understood in the context. So the sentence that it was written in, God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come. The earth is filled with violence. I will destroy it. It was written to Noah for that time. It's not... God's not telling me he's about to destroy the earth. I've got to just look at the context. Then I look at the bigger context of the whole story. Oh, okay, it was at a certain time in history. Yes. Um, and, and he then, I read more of the story about what was happening before, how people had become so evil and there was demonic activity all over the place and People were taking revenge 70 times for one thing that was done wrong to them. And there were all these different things that were going wrong. And I understand the context. And then I see there was a flood. And then God said, ah, now I've promised you, Noah, I'm never going to destroy the earth again. Um, And there was a sacrifice. and, And I understand the principles of it. But then I go even bigger. And I look at the whole of the Bible, the whole of Scripture. I don't look outside scripture. I don't look at books about other subjects or other people's opinions. I look within the Bible, within the scriptural books, and I say, what is the context? Does God talk about the flood in other places? And I see in Isaiah 54, he says, For this is like the waters of Noah to me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, so I have sworn that I would not be angry with you nor rebuke you. And we see God was promising a future time where just like he said, I'm never going to flood the earth again. He says, I'm never going to be angry with you again if you're part of my covenant. And then we see in other places in Luke 17, where Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. So there will be a time when the end of the world comes, when people are not expecting it. And um, we read in 1 Peter 3, where it talks about Noah's flood, and it says, there is also an antitype, which which means it's similar but different, which now saves us baptism, not the removal of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I see that just as eight were saved out of the water in the flood, the antitype is we are saved in the water through baptism. And just as Noah was saved from destruction, as we go through salvation and baptism, we are saved. And so I start to, I start to get the understanding of what's, what it's all about. And I see how Noah came out of the ark with seven types of certain animals, but two of other animals and the seven animals were sacrifice animals and he would put them on the altar 
and the smoke would go up. And, and I start to get the idea in the picture. Now, what is all of this saying? These are the principles of Bible interpretation. Set aside some time. Number one. Number two, come to it with the right attitude, saying, God, I humble myself. I put aside my own ideas. I want your word to change me, and I want to be free from sin. Then understand the context, who it was written to, why it was written. Understand the bigger context of the whole Bible and what the whole Bible says about it, and that the New Testament explains the Old Testament and fulfills the Old Testament, and Jesus is the complete revelation. Hebrews 1 says, in the olden times, God spoke through prophets and various other ways, but now through Jesus, we see the exact representation of his being, the brightness of his glory. So I, I understand it in the whole context of the Bible. Um, and then I say, what is this teaching me about God? Now understand, it's not that I read this and I'm thinking God is speaking these words directly to me. But even though God was speaking to Noah or to Isaiah or to somebody else, there, God knew I would be reading this and he prepared the Bible for me in this day and age to read it. And he says, there are truths in here about God that you can rely on. There are truths about human nature that you can rely on. There are truths about the spiritual realm, not just the physical that you can see, that you can rely on. There are truths about you as a born-again Christian and what your spirit is like that you can rely on. There are truths about how you relate to God and how you can be made right with Him that you can rely on. And when you read the story, you understand its context, you understand it in the bigger picture of the Bible, and you say, what are these truths about God, about people, about me, about my relationship with God? At the end of that, you then say, God, what are you saying to me today? What are you saying to me today? Do I need to change anything? Do I need to change my thinking, my actions, my relationships? Do I need to say sorry to somebody? Do I need to praise you? Do I need to start seeing myself differently as you say that I am? And then I say, thank you, God. I solidify it in prayer and I go out and I act on it. I do something different as a result of what I've read. And friend, when you do that every day, consistently, Give us this day our daily bread. Every single day, you are being made strong. You can still have teachers who teach you. You can still go to church and listen, but you are studying God's word for yourself. You can use commentaries and Bible dictionaries. Those are helpful, yes. But at the end of the day, you're taking God's word. You're chewing it. You're digesting it. You're exercising yourself to find out what is righteousness. How do I please God? And then you're acting on it. And if you do that consistently, God will help you to teach others. Maybe one, maybe two, maybe a small group, maybe a large group. And that is what God wants for you. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.